0: Keep in mind that there's 5 to 10 countries that are at the same cost as the U.S. And then there's 185, 190 countries that are cheaper than our country. And it could be 5 to 10 times cheaper than our country.
1: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we hear stories of adventure from every corner of the planet. We interview all sorts of folks who are using their sport to explore the world around them and give you the inspiration you need to get out there and have some fun. Today's episode is really meant to inspire you for when this whole quarantine thing passes. Uh, Brian Asher is a teacher in California and was able to travel the world. He did take a year off of teaching to, to kind of complete this. Uh, he traveled to every country except one. And we're going to get into which one that was and why. Uh, he is planning to travel to it, by the way. Uh, but he did all this, you know, not coming from adventurous, an adventurous or travel background. Uh, just kind of, you know, a normal kid playing normal sports, baseball and whatnot. And uh, a trip to Colorado and a camp, he went there, changed his life. And so he's going to tell that story. He's also going to tell that it was his brother that got him into it, but but he tragically lost his brother and decided in his honor to uh, travel the world uh, because they were doing that together. And so um, just an awesome story because he doesn't have a lot of money to do this, being a teacher, of course. And so he talks about just how he's able to do that and also... Uh, you know, how you can also do that. You know, you might not have aspirations to travel to every country in the world, but, you know, you can make traveling more frequently more affordable um, possible for you and your family uh, with some of Brian's tips and tricks and he's just the kindest guy you could ever imagine so I really enjoyed having him on really enjoyed hearing his story and uh, I've really enjoyed just following his journey so uh, a- after this interview so it was really fun so I hope you enjoy and also before we get started I did want to say thank you to everyone who's supporting on on supporting us on patreon who has left a review recently and who has uh, reached out to us and just thank us for producing the show, that's been uh, really encouraging during these times. So I, I appreciate that, and just wanted to say uh, I encourage all of you out there listening to spread some kindness today. Do something nice, uh, you know. If, if someone's you know panhandling, give them a can of food or something, or some money, or d- call somebody you haven't talked to in a while. Just you know, continue spreading kindness and love, and uh, it's making a huge difference. And just a quick example, I was in my mail room the other day, and uh, there's a box in there next to all the mailboxes. And I just had free food. It was overflowing with free food that people had contributed. And there's a sign on the wall that says, you know, take what you need. And so I just made my day and I wasn't even eating it. So for the folks eating it, it's even more important, of course, but just continue doing stuff like that. I know that it can get overwhelming. So I encourage all of you. Let's let the positivity and and encouragement from the show spread beyond uh, just your ears. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. All right, folks. Uh, Just an awesome episode today. There's a lot I don't know about this story because obviously there's a lot to it. So I'm excited to talk to uh, Brian Asher about literally traveling the world, every country except for one. And we'll talk about that. Um, An amazing story of adventure. And he is now a teacher. And of course, I I would assume you're, you're off for a little while. So you got some time to talk to me.
0: Yeah yeah we're teaching uh, at a distance sending the kids assignments and doing zoom and different things virtually now so life is freed up a little bit although we're shifting into kind of a new you know uh, frontier here of having to teach from home and we'll see how long it lasts but you know definitely frees up your days a little bit more
1: I can imagine man i, I mean what a what a crazy time i mean i know that it, honestly every interview has started out saying that and a lot of folks don't want to talk about it but me i'm kind of the mindset This is world-changing. I want to mention it. You know what I mean? Sure.
0: Sure. Yeah, it's something that I've never seen in my lifetime before. And, you know, announcing it to the kids like a week and a half or so ago that they're going to be at home for a month, possibly more. Um, No one quite knows how to react. The district didn't quite know what to tell us. We're all all adjusting on the fly here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, my wife's a fourth-grade teacher, and it's just been crazy, her being home every day. And they're doing a lot of Skype and Zoom just mm-hmm. this week and so you know starting this week i mean and so it's going to be interesting to see it's been f- cool to see the kids you know recording videos and stuff but also wow this is actually happening that's what it <laughs> to me you know yeah
0: yeah it's definitely a change of pace
1: so you know you y- you weren't always a teacher and i kind of want to go back if you don't mind it's just an incredible story. Like I, I really, when you, when I saw your email, it was just like, holy cow, this is a no-brainer to me. Like <laughs> this is awesome, and I'm sure you hear that all the time. Where, where did your story start? Where did you grow up? And and were you outdoorsy and adventurous like this, or did you discover that on your own?
0: Sure. Yeah, my family did not spend much time in the outdoors. I played soccer, basketball, and baseball in high school. Loved the team sports, and um, it started really after I finished playing college baseball first year in college. And then, uh, my brother, my younger brother invited me to work as a summer camp counselor out in Colorado. And that was the first time I'd ever really spent major time in the outdoors.
1: Wow. In college was, was in the college. First time. Yeah. It
0: was awesome. the first time I never camped. I had never run for fun. It was always punishment. Uh, i had never really done a hike besides a couple miles here and there in the summertime. And so the outdoors was completely foreign to me. I was, uh, Way out of my league, kind of in training school out there in Colorado the first time with basketball shorts and shoes on and sweatpants. I had no idea what I was doing and, and hated it for the first couple of weeks because I was so out of my comfort zone. But then grew to love it as the first summer went on. And, and I got hooked on, on peaking the, the 14ers, which we let our teenage kids in the campouts in the collegiate peaks working in Buena Vista there. And that started really getting me hooked into the outdoors.
1: Oh man. I I was going to ask you where in Colorado. So in Buena Vista, I I live in Denver, so not too far Mm -hmm. at all. And I Mm -hmm. I venture out there all the time, just even for a quick, you know, evening stroll, just driving around. But it's funny you say that about sports, not knowing what you're doing. Same thing, man. I was in college. My first adventure in Alaska um, was the first real thing I ever did and I remember wearing my basketball warm ups. It was the matching <laughs> the tops and bottoms, like thinking that was, you know, all there was to wear and those weren't waterproof uh-huh. or really just windbreaker outfit and oh it was awful. So totally understand. <laughs> so so you go out there and you experience it and and then what? Did it just I mean was it like starting a starting a, a, a dynamite, just an explosion of adventures at that point? Or was it more of it, a it slow was, burn?
0: That was kind of like a A fresh start for me on life because when you play sports growing up and then you hit a point where maybe you're not playing anymore in college and you see people maybe going towards a party atmosphere or drinking or it just wasn't my scene and so I was feeling a little lost there for about a year during college not quite knowing you know what group to fit in with and then going out there just introduced me to people that had worked in Nepal or Antarctica and traveled I had never left the country before until you know I was 21 so until my second summer at the summer camp and it just opened my mind. All right. These are people who like adventure are, you know, fairly athletic in a different way and, um, are just doing things that I never considered. And it just kind of gave me this excitement and joy for life that, uh, it was just like kind of a second start after doing all the team sports for so long.
1: Wow. And where was home at that point? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah,
0: sure. That. Home is Sacramento, California, where I grew up and I'm actually teaching high school Spanish at the same high school where I went to school, which is funny how it's come full circle. So I've, uh, Lived 1 through 18 here in Sacramento, then been gone for a bunch of years in college and living abroad for about six years, then came back and have been living here for the last six years teaching high school in Sacramento.
1: Oh, I love it, man! I love when folks go back home to show, you know, to show what they've learned. And I saw—I was looking at your Instagram. Some of your most recent pictures are Yosemite Valley, and mm-hmm. I'm sure listeners are tired of hearing me say this, but that's that's my favorite place in the whole world. That is my heaven on earth. And uh, I
0: love it. Yeah. I love it. I was down there a week and a half ago, the day before it closed, and they closed some of the national parks here, you know, with the coronavirus. And so, um, was there. And there's nobody in the park. Got to go to the top of uh, the Mist Trail there to Nevada Falls, and who knows the next time I'll be able to be back in the park. But that's that's heaven on earth for me. <laughs> it's Yosemite,
1: just uh, unparalleled to me about Yosemite and especially Yosemite mm-hmm. Valley. But anyway, man, I feel like we've just been uh um I'm leading folks on, and they and they've heard. I'm gonna you know explain a little bit more in the in the intro in the official show intro about your story. But so you know y- the, you start going places and doing these experiences and interacting with these people who have just been living an extraordinary life what was maybe some of your first experiences traveling to other countries yeah, I'm sure obviously had to start somewhere before hitting them all sure
0: yeah junior year in college when I was 20 years old uh, my brother who was a Spanish major an education major uh, said you gotta you gotta try going abroad it's just gonna you know just fire up your engines and just give you this kind of you know, kind of enthusiasm for life when you start going to different places. And so I resisted it for a while. And, and finally, you know, let them kind of talk me into, I went down to Costa Rica by myself over Christmas break for 10 days and couch surfed, which is where you stay for someone for free on their couch, maybe a mattress or something, and did it with a family that only spoke Spanish, which really pushed me to my limits. <laughs> I wasn't too good in Spanish at the time. and. Uh, I was terrified for the first couple of days, but it just—it started the terror, kind of started turning into excitement as I got a little more used to it, more used to it, and, and ran a, a full marathon there when I was in Costa Rica on the beach, um, on the eastern side in the Caribbean. And, and once I got back, I, I knew I had to do more, and uh, so that just started getting the engines burning for you know, kind of planning the next trip and how I could get back out and have that same rush, that same feeling of just feeling totally alive and in the moment.
1: Wow, and I gotta ask you this about the marathons. What what is that? You just do you enjoy running? And, <laughs> and do you, are these marathons, because you've done dozens and dozens of them, are these things that are official events or are you doing it on your own?
0: Yeah, yeah. I've done sixty-two official twenty-six point two mile marathons. And, uh,
1: you've turned it I've around done, twenty-six to <laughs> sixty-two. Yeah,
0: wow. Got it flipped around. It's a Maybe six or seven in Mexico when I was living there, maybe six or seven in Brazil when I was living there i've done um, I think three or four in Europe and uh, a lot of trail marathons here in in the west coast and and now basically go out and, and enjoy trail running and get as much satisfaction from doing a, an awesome route in Yosemite or near Tahoe or you know near Shasta or something so I've stopped running the official races as much and go out with friends around my own and and just do 10, 15, 20, 30-mile routes in, in the outdoors, which gives me as much joy as, as the races did.
1: So how early on did the idea of visiting every country in the world start to, start to materialize?
0: Sure, yeah. So first time I left the country, I was 20. Um, once I graduated from college at 21, I got a one-way ticket to Mexico to travel slash find a job Um, proceeded to live abroad for the next five and a half years as I got into teaching English, translating, and working with NGOs as well. And it it never was on my radar. I'd been to maybe 15 countries over those um, five or six years living abroad. And then I I came back and had to kind of come home and help out with family as my brother was ill and then unfortunately passed on. Um, And that just gave me a different perspective at life that we're not all here forever. Um, We don't want to postpone our dreams. And that was what he had introduced me to was the travel, the outdoors, um, taking advantage of of your opportunities, not postponing your dreams. And it felt like it was something I needed to carry on for the two of us. And so as I worked here as a teacher in Sacramento, I'd used literally every break to go as a budget backpacking traveler two places, Thanksgiving, boom, Christmas, two weeks, President's Week, February, spring break, all summer. And um, over the next six years, of, five years of teaching here, I got to up to about 85 or 90 countries. And then that light bulb went on and I went, "Wow! Oh, if I've been to like half of the world's countries, more or less, I wonder if it's possible. So I'd say that was about two and a half, three years ago when the, it started getting on my radar when I was about 85 or 90 countries in.
1: You said just two and a half or three years ago? Yeah, yeah, not not that long ago. Yeah, this isn't isn't like 30 years in the making this here. No,
0: no, it was just loving to travel and going to new places. And I would keep track and document where I'd go. But the the number didn't mean anything to me. It was cool. Oh, you've been to 30 or 40, but it was just the excitement of picking, you know, this summer I'm gonna be in southern Africa. You know, next summer I'm gonna go all the way through Eastern Europe from Istanbul to Stockholm. It was just the, the excitement of new places. I didn't have that goal um on my radar at all until just a couple of years
1: ago. That's incredible. And now now you mentioned a big inspiration was was your brother who who passed away. Is it mm-hmm. um is that I mean that's just you know, a lot of people don't like a huge pivotal moment for people is something when something like that happens. And and do you think that that was almost like, 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 would you be doing this if that hadn't happened?
0: I don't know if I would. I mean, I think I would continue to travel, but it really hits home when, um, you know, you, you lose your best friend and someone that introduced you and that you plan doing these things together your whole life. that. Uh, you know, we just need to go forward. I was very down and depressed for a couple of months, came home, left my teaching and, you know, a job and apartment and girlfriend and everything in Brazil um, to come back home. And so it was something that I have to go forward and what's what's it that gives me the most peace that I that I had the most joy doing with my brother. And it was the outdoors and the travel and just that feeling of being alive and and you know doing what you're passionate about. And so it, it just came clear I have to continue with this, not just in a little bit, but you know in a hundred percent way because it's an outlet that's that's allowing me to live an inspired life for both of us and hopefully share that with other people.
1: Oh absolutely man. Absolutely. So you're you're taking advantage of of every break that you're able to <laughs> to do this. It sounds like, um, you know, I tra- I've traveled. I've not obviously traveled as much as you. I, I mean, I've gone a handful of places, and I, I and I know enough to know that places surprise you. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I tell people all the time. Like one of my most favorite states I've ever visited was Nebraska. For some reason, just just it was just the right mixture of people and weather and experiences and just surprise, I guess you could say, is there a place Mm -hmm. or a few places that have been like that for you where maybe you didn't have a lot going in like, Oh, it's going to be fine. But then it was just amazing. Sure. Yeah. Last,
0: last year, I guess I should explain the reason why I've been able to jump from 90 or so to 195 countries here is that last year I took a leave of absence from teaching and, uh, saved and planned and was like, all right, if I have 14 months, how can I do it? And so last year, I got to 100 countries over 14 months and um, didn't come back once and stayed in regions like West Africa and went by local transportation. Uh, and so could could budget, you know, the finances a lot better taking local transport instead of always flying back to the US or Europe or something. So uh, last year was, was an insane adventure with these 14 months. And I'd say one of the countries, um, get into your question, that. What really surprised me is Pakistan. Pakistan was by far one of my top you know, three, four countries in the world I've ever been to. And uh, not for everyone would I recommend it, but I mean, for me, it checked all the boxes. It was extremely authentic. You know, you don't see any other foreigners or travelers there. Uh, the outdoors is, is insanely beautiful. I think, you know, picture kind of Nepal with some of the biggest mountains in the world, but 0.001% of the people that go there. Um, the people, um, I always love to share that literally everything was free for me in Pakistan, which I've never had in any other country in wow. the world because during the twenty one, twenty two days I was there, they would not let me pay for anything. They would walk into a shop, a market, a little, you know, sandwich place and they'd know that I wasn't from there and say, No, 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 like it's on me. The Quran teaches us we want foreigners and visitors to be treated well, treat you treat you with respect. And if, you know, you ever have the chance to go home and share what it's really like in Pakistan, this is the image that we want to give you. And so that happened time after time after time getting invited into people's homes to stay with them um just that combination of no foreigners the outdoors is beautiful it's rugged um culture jumps out to you when you're on the streets the way the people received me um that i didn't have to spend almost anything in three weeks it was uh it was one of the countries that people don't know but it was it was just amazing one of my favorite countries ever
1: Wow. That, that, I mean, those are some great reasons. And I've actually heard that a lot from the bike touring community, like the world cyclists, they are saying, gosh, you know, like Pakistan and even Iran and mm-hmm. you know, it just is so underrated. And there's almost this desire to change the, change the perspective that most mm-hmm. people go in thinking. And it's, it's like this over correction. That's, Really awesome, like you said, you don't have to pay anything, and for someone who's such a cheapskate like me, that sounds incredible. <laughs> me so. too, as a teacher, <laughs> You gotta save yeah, your money when you yeah, can. <laughs> absolutely. That being said, like that, uh, you know, bringing that up, teaching. Oh my gosh, you get to come back to school. W- you know, when you're there, or when you know, when you came back after that year of absence, and just the richness that you probably get to teach with at that point. I mean, does it add to your ability to teach at all, or does it take away? Because I know sometimes it spoils you to where it's like oh i don't want to go back to my normal life, you know
0: <laughs> i'd say it definitely adds to what you can give to the students as far as you know you could talk about it and read about it or point out things in a textbook or i could share all of my own first hand personal experiences photos videos from youtube work them into the lesson plan and so I know how I was when I was 15 or 16 and I didn't necessarily love Spanish and so I try to make it in a way that's you know interesting for them. Hey, this guy's living it, doing it. They know where I'm going during my next break. They know that Thanksgiving break, I was in Syria, Libya, and Algeria going to you know three of the last countries in the world for me. They're keeping tabs on me. So I feel like when you can connect with a teacher or a student, then that makes it come alive. And so I definitely try to do that with the kids.
1: Uh, are you the type that, can get going on personal stories and kind of take up the whole class period talking
0: about uh, Yeah. Sometimes you get going and if they're interested, <laughs> I'll go off on it. But yeah, I mean, you do a combination of what you need to do and what you love sharing about. But, um, I feel like what I remember about my teachers is how they were as people more than chapter four, a, the preterite past tense, you know? So I, I feel like, you know, that life side of it is huge. So I, I don't mind getting off on that.
1: I, yeah, man, that's, That's what life's about. And I'm sure you can teach lessons, you know, from the heart at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, Gosh. So, so what about the flip side? Has there been any place that I, you know, I don't want to turn it negative necessarily, but a place that was like, well, this might be a little overly advertised, (laughs) you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as advertised. Hmm.
0: Good question. So this last year, literally I've been to the 90 easier, more touristy countries. And I was in the 100 harder countries in the world. So, I mean, for me, like I'll I'll throw out one like Dubai, for example, which I went through four or five times. It all depends on your style. I mean, what you like to do, what your priorities are. But I'm, I'm such an outdoors lover of the mountains and being able to get out and roam freely and also be in places that are more budget destinations and you know you come into a big city like dubai where everything's kind of artificial and built up and i think it's called the burj khalifa the biggest skyscraper in the world you go over and look at it and you know it costs i don't know 80 or 100 or 120 dollars to go to the top or something oh wow you know and i'm used to paying four dollars for a bus ticket across you know like (laughs) 18 hours of pakistan or something or maybe someone's buying it for me even and so uh you know when you come to places that are kind of more city-centered or a little more artificial i'd say um if you love shopping and malls that's for you but you know people probably listening to this podcast maybe dubai is a nice break but not a place that i would choose for example to spend a lot of time in
1: yeah, uh, you know, you're in just like you said. The folks that are listening to this show are going to more or less agree with that. Gosh, man, it's just that's such a daunting goal to most people. I'm trying to wrap my head around it. And and mm-hmm. I'm looking through your pictures now and just thinking gosh, so many countries vary so much. It's like visiting the different states. Like you can visit Rhode Island and Alaska, technically on paper you checked them both off, but how do how do you experience these countries that you're going to with such a varying degree of, you know, cultural depth as well as natural beauty that you you love so much and, you know, the vastness of these places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking, I mean,
0: before I took off last year, I had maps out in my room almost every day trying to picture how how is this going to happen, like working together a hundred countries in the world, different regions. Uh, I started in the Caribbean, then went over to the Pacific to some of the most remote countries in the world with a Nauru and a Tuvalu and Kiribati that have maybe one or two flights a week and that the runway turns into a playground for the rest of the the week for the entire country to go out there and play to play. Over in Central Asia, you know, going down the Silk Road is kind of the tail end of the Himalayas into Africa and the Middle East. There's there's so much diversity. And I guess for me, one of the things I love, and I think almost any traveler will tell you, it's it's about the people and it's about who you meet. And I stayed through booking Airbnb, couch surfing, um, a friend of a friend, a Peace Corps volunteer. I stayed with local families um, as much as I could. And that not only save costs, but instead of going to a cold hotel room or a fancy chain hotel that you spend $200 a night, I'm spending 10 to 15 to $20 a night in a bedroom in a local family's house. And they are sharing with you their culture, recommending where to go, sharing meals with you. And that's huge, Like it's pretty dry. If you just go take pictures of monuments or the famous things in a city or even nature, which I love, Like you need the people. And so I tried to meet and interact with as many local people in these countries. And that's it's great to look through like WhatsApp right now and see, people from nearly every country in the world in my contacts and whatsapp and to be able to have memories with them
1: oh man yeah that's that's pretty remarkable and you know there'll be a time you'd scroll back through these pictures and in all these experiences and think wow I, I can't even remember that day but this picture <laughs> brings it back up what, mm-hmm. what 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 are your goals when you when you go to a place like as far as how much time to spend there and how to incorporate those those much more realistic experiences, what is that process for you? Sure.
0: Well, uh, I, I, last year I, I traveled fairly quickly. I think anyone who's trying to visit every country, I mean, it's it's such a daunting goal, and to go to so many places, you know, you want to come back to a lot of places. But um, for as far as time in uh, each country, some of the islands you can see really well. Like let's say Nauru, it's 13 miles around the entire island. So I rented a motorbike and biked it 10 times and also ran around it once. So, I mean, I saw the island, you know, yeah, you inside and out <laughs> over like the 72 hours I was there because there's two flights a week that go in and out. So, um, and then other countries like last year, the Philippines, Mongolia, Russia, Pakistan, I'd spend two to three weeks, Nepal as well in those countries, um, so and in the past, I always used my school breaks. So it was Israel and Jordan for 10 days or something. And, you know, countries that I could see fairly well. South Korea for, you know, eight, nine days. So um, last year was a little bit faster of a pace, but I did slow down on a lot of the countries that I felt like I, I wanted to see more. And I've got a big list of ones I want to go back and see as well.
1: What is at the top of that list?
0: Ones I like to go back and yeah, see? Oh, yeah. Being an outdoors lover, a uh, Himalayas, The Himalayas jumps out right off the bat. Pakistan, which I mentioned Nepal, I got to do a couple of the treks in Nepal, but I mean that's just like right you know right up your wheelhouse if you love the outdoors, Nepal, um, Patagonia and Chile and Argentina I'd love to go back and see more of. I think the the Middle East, like Afghanistan, Iran, if I could take kind of a more proper, you have to do a tour as an American of Iran would be wonderful to see these countries that are often misunderstood. Northern India with Ladakh. Which is in the northern part, kind of near Kashmir and the Himalayas as well, but the mountains, the outdoors that's that definitely stands out.
1: You know I'm, I'm a little bit not a little bit I'm pretty blown away by just the ability to to, to chase this goal and to accomplish it. and uh, of course, the the one that you haven't visited, What you got to get into North Korea? No, I'm just fine. I I know. It's obvious reasons, but is there any. Do you keep that on your radar? Is it kind of like, we'll see what happens?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I was going to go in October to do. It's. I mean, the, the official real tour that enters the country, Americans been banned for, I think, about three, three and a half years, unfortunately, since kind of a young guy took some propaganda, poster off the wall, and ended up dying with trauma and things. So we've been off the, the real tour list. You can go to the DMZ, and several friends have done this. It counts. It's not ideal. But when you go there and visit the Blue House conference room, you do enter North Korea by several yards probably. So that is the only option we have. And uh, due to health issues with the swine flu in October, my tour was canceled and it's been canceled, you know, for obvious reasons here with the coronavirus uh, more recently. So I'd love to do the legit tour, but even the DMZ tour would be the other possible option, but both are off the table right now. So it's it's just a waiting game to finish the last one.
1: (laughs) It's almost... More interesting to say I've been to every country in the world except one. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> I know. Sounds like you really messed up or something, but I didn't mess up. I just I couldn't I couldn't get to it because of these, you know, different health reasons yeah, issues Yeah, just, and...
1: just there's but... one I didn't want to see. <laughs> just one. No, it's, uh, it's yeah, I don't I have no doubt that in the, in the, the the your your level of your ability to figure this stuff out and also your willingness <laughs> to 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 wait and be patient, you'll you'll get there.
0: I think that's a big one too, that people don't realize is the planning and logistics like they see your cool pictures and things but planning and doing it independently on a teacher's salary living out of a carry-on backpack for 420 days last year like it is insane the number of hours you spend every day researching visas and borders and you know like customs and like how do you get into the hardest countries and local transportation like the logistics is insane so i'll put that out there too that people don't realize how hard it is to do all this independently <laughs> it's really hard it's re- you have to be very passionate about it and you know you have guests all the time that are passionate about what they do but like a, a casual traveler would not go to the last 50 countries like they just wouldn't it's so much work and effort to get into let's say countries you know from 140 to 190 or 193 or so like it's it is a lot of effort to get into these countries
1: Well, let me ask you this, what can you walk us through a process where one of these, maybe it's remote, maybe it's just so infrequently visited, maybe the visa process is hard. What was one of those experiences like? Because I always love to say, hey, what is Instagram not telling? What's between the lines of the pictures, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'll I'll put a Nauru out there. It's the least visited country in the world. It's the island I mentioned that you can get around 13 miles. Um, there was one guy who is the contacts and you email him. And then about a week later, he emails you back. And so I started the process about two months before it's the only island in the Pacific Island nation that you need a visa to get into visa. I mean, you can't just show up and get stamped in and get a visa on arrival, for example. And so I, I started emailing this guy, having heard stories about it from other friends, you know, months before I started going and you know, you send one right after he sends one back to you and then you wait another week or so and then, you know, you're missing this document or you're missing a letter from your employer. You know, you need to have this, you know, other, you know, photocopies of your passport and things, other pages. And so, um, you know, in the Caribbean, making my way through the first few countries, getting all these documents to him and Literally the first three months I'm working on this and finally when I'm getting down to my last couple of countries in the Pacific, everything's squared away and he sends me my visa confirmation and I'm able to get in so I get one of the bi-weekly flights that goes up, I think it was from Fiji, it's just the hub in the Pacific, up to Nauru, in on a Tuesday morning, out on a Thursday, so I'm there for two and a half, three days and just squeezed it in before I had to hop over to my next region which is Central Asia, so that one took me two to three months and that's just one you know africa is full of visa full, you know visa requiring countries and every single one's another process to figure out how to get into these countries
1: wow and and that with booking flights and flights are not cheap to these places i'm sure it does mm-hmm. get was there was there a point where you said i just do not want to finish these last 50 countries <laughs> or
0: something. uh well africa was really the tipping point there's 54 countries in africa i had to get to 41 i'd been to 13 before last year and so i'm looking at you know 41 countries a lot of them are notorious for hard to get into and i'm not getting them from visa processes here in the u.s where you send it into dc you got months to wait you pay someone like a service i don't you know if i can do it i'm going to do it on the on the go in in the country so i'd block out, let's say a week in Abidjan Ivory Coast, because I've heard stories from friends that you can get visas for Niger, Mali, and Burkina Faso pretty easily, supposedly, in Abidjan. But there's one guy there. He might show up certain days, not other days. He's gonna tell you it's, you know, maybe two or three weeks for the visa process and but you know, there's an express treatment, which is You don't know if it's legit or if it's kind of bribing, but like, you know, you you got to negotiate with these guys to be able to get visas for your upcoming countries. And, you know, Africa is blocking out weeks at a time to spend in capital cities to get visas for your upcoming countries while you're just kind of sweating it out in these not so comfortable embassy waiting rooms, waiting for the one head honcho guy to come back and deal with you. So it's it's definitely a task and patience, and you better have a sense of humor as well.
1: Yeah, you better have a good attitude, and it sounds like you have <laughs> you a very uh, optimistic and positive outlook on things. I would tell you, I'd I'd probably get shot at some point after mouthing off of, of being hot <laughs> and sweaty for three weeks, and, and then my travels would be over. So <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. you have
0: to always remember, like you know, I've heard it from other guests on your program. Like we choose to be out there. You know, we're fortunate and privileged enough to choose to do these adventures. And if you want normalcy, comfort and you know routine then you stay at home and when you choose to be out there and you know Guinea Bissau or you know Senegal or Guinea or you know Benin or Ivory Coast waiting for embassies to open up or someone to show up then you know you, you've made that choice so you better be all in on it and be patient and uh, be optimistic like you said
1: has luck played any sort of role for you would you say uh, i
0: don't really kind of attribute too much of it to luck i think that when you work really hard and you're passionate and you're kind to people and you treat people well when you come into these countries i've been so warmly received in countries with such negative reputations through the news and so i mean i guess you could attribute a little bit of it to luck but i i like to think that when you, when you treat people well, when you're open, when you're not the all-knowing American that comes in, but you honestly want to learn about their culture, and you listen to them and ask them questions, you're vulnerable because you're lost, don't know where you're going to stay, need help, or asking about their family, you know, their, their traditions, they generally want to help you out and bring you in. And um, so I feel like that's, that's been a key factor is the human kindness I've received everywhere I go, and that's, that's every country around the
1: world. Wow. Kindness and respect are key, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what, you know, that is obviously an enormous lesson. What would you say the biggest lesson you've learned or the biggest way and or the biggest way this has changed you as a person?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think one is huge is you come back and you can't take for granted the things that we have. When you When you go to the tap and you can turn on water, you can drink. You know, I had to purify water for... 14 months last year, basically every country. Um, when you when you see just how much space and the yards and the jobs and the, you know, normal job like teaching, if I'm hearing teachers complain about their salaries, you know, I, I was visiting rural schools in Afghanistan and Pakistan and, you know, have taught in Brazil making four times less than I do now. And it just gives an appreciation for the things that we have. And we're fortunate. My friend always says we won the lottery. You know, we grew up in one of the, the strongest economies in the world and, you know, we, we need to be grateful. And when you see that and feel it firsthand, then you come back and you really appreciate it. So that's, that's a big one. And I think the, the human kindness side and that we're more similar than you think people want to have a better life. They want to spend time with friends and family. They want to share. They want to love and be loved. And And when you go places at the core, we're really all all the same, and you might look at people's clothing or the markets or the size of their home and say, "Wow, it's very different than you know suburban Denver or Sacramento or wherever you may live." Um, but people are the same, and people want to help you. People have helped me just millions of times. I go into countries usually planning a day or two at a time and, you know, having people just guide me, show me where to go, help me out with things I'm confused with. People are good and the vast majority of people will help you. Um, You know, so that's, those are definitely a couple lessons that that really stick with me. And I I try to share with my students and, and people that ask me this kind of question.
1: Yeah. And and I apologize for, I try to be an interviewer that doesn't ask the same questions all the time, but
0: no, I don't no.
1: always get someone that's been to every country in the world except one. So it, it's just so much to it that is so fascinating. And so, and it's the basics really for, for me that I find so incredibly interesting about this. Uh, do you have any stories that could help illustrate that? I know that might be trying to it's kinda of like trying to pick a favorite child, so <laughs> and it's it's very hard, but with millions of stories literally that you have, oh, anything yeah. at all that can illustrate those points?
0: Sure, yeah, I'll give an example uh Papua New Guinea, one of the least visited, most untouched countries in the world. It's over kind of near the Philippines, above Australia there a country that I had heard you know, it's, is it it dangerous and scary and it used to be cannibals and there's still people who are out living that have almost barely had contact with the Western world. And so I flew into Port Moresby, the capital, and then went up to the highlands, which is kind of the real cultural highlight of the country where they have different festivals. And so I, I went up there and I often have maybe one place screenshotted on my phone for an idea of where I might stay. And so we got off of this little plane in the highlands of Papua New Guinea and, uh, you know, the airport was under construction of just a runway strip. And I looked out and there's like about a thousand local people just staring at me. <laughs> there was no there was no building, there was no tunnel. And it was just like open land. And I just all of a sudden wow. kind of went, whoa, like I don't feel comfortable. And I usually feel pretty good and like I'm out of my comfort zone. And so I looked kind of around and tried to see if there's anyone else on my plane that looked like he might be a foreigner and I saw I saw a guy who looked like he might be European or American. I went over to him and he was a missionary. And he had been working there. He was from Poland. He'd been there for fifteen years. Said, no, no, I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, just come with me. I'll take care of you. Like, don't don't worry about it. You know, I know it's probably a shock for you to be up here and just come with me. So he took me to their missionary kind of center where they live there. And one of the local missionaries, Father Thomas, who I still keep in touch with today, uh, just took me under his wing and he had me for the next week and he took me out to these rural villages to be able to see how the villages were doing, the communities were doing, their schools. And and I couldn't have had a better time in a place that for those first few minutes, I was just absolutely terrified to show up, didn't have a place to stay, didn't know where I was gonna walk, who was gonna help me. And there I am in in a missionary kind of center going out to these rural communities in the bush where they just absolutely loved having Father Thomas and I come in to visit them. He'd kind of give a mass, give a service, see how their communities were doing, see how their water projects were going to have, you know, pure water that they were having purified and things so they could drink. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just countless examples like that of where you're going in scared, unknown, not sure what's going to happen to warmly received, helped, taken in, and just a really memorable experience.
1: And that's the first time I think you've mentioned since we've been talking feeling uncomfortable mm-hmm. how how I mean obviously I'm sure it's just one of the major questions people ask is isn't that dangerous and so <laughs> what what role does danger play in an achievement like this you know what I mean obviously there's gonna be situations but you mm-hmm. know what what how do you process that and what was it like for you on that side sure
0: uh yeah I mean when you think of South Sudan, Central African Republic, Yemen, Afghanistan, Papua New Guinea, these countries, a lot of times you think of dangerous places. Um, So I would get there. And then, like I said, kind of stay with the local family as often as I could. And that's really key. If I could have some local family person, if they're meeting you where you're getting in, if you know how to get to their place, and then they will kind of take care of you and help you know where you can go and where you can't go. And so I don't try to put myself in harm's ways. Sometimes, you know, sunset is your time to finish your activities. You know, if you're in countries that or cities that aren't that aren't that safe. But I feel like you gather the opinion of local people who are looking out for you, typically a family you're staying with, maybe it's a taxi driver, maybe it's a few people you meet on a bus, maybe it's people on the street, and you kind of gather together their opinions and they all want to help you and see you safe and have a good experience. And I'm gonna follow what they say. You know, you can go here, you should take a taxi after this hour, you really should be in by sunset. You know, I wouldn't go into these villages outside of the city. And so I'm, I'm taking the locals Kind of combine word of mouth, knowing that they want my best interests to guide what my experience will be like in each country.
1: Great piece of advice. You know, it's it's instant information. I tell folks all. I mean, I'm a huge believer in being trained and kind of just not trying to reinvent the wheel in every in every Mm -hmm. way. So that with all these literally hundreds of places you go, that's just had to have accelerated this uh, the ability to do this and what a wonderful tip thank you for sharing that sure sure i I had a question in mind but now i'm trying to think i'm just i'm blown away by this and i'm looking at your pictures, so it's hard it's hard to (laughs) it's hard not to be inspired at the very least
0: no i'll share one more thing as well while you're thinking um i know that like your podcast and other podcasts that i've had when you're out on these i think people don't realize how much of your life you spend in transportation when you're on the road Um, You know, like I said, they see the glory moments, but literally, I'm spending three to fifteen hours every day in transportation to get to the next country. You're not only like having to get to the capitals of the countries, but you want to get out and see interesting things, which are often often in remote areas or areas that are way outside. And so, you know, like having your podcast, for example, to be able to have some travel and some just positive influence and kind of a feeling of being at home and adventures talking to you through your ears is really nice. Cause you're in the moment and you're sweating it out. And like, I remember going by bus across a good region of the Sahara last year from Mali down into for Burkina Faso up into Mali and you're there you're seeing there's like six people across and there's you know people sitting on gas tanks in the middle of the bus and you're just shoulder to shoulder with people. It's like 120, 130 degrees and they're cracking the windows just a little bit so the sand doesn't come in, blowing the windows and you're just sweating your guts out. And like you need to shut your whole system off. (laughs) And so having a a podcast or something to listen to that will just take you out of the moment, even if it's for 40 minutes or an hour or an hour or two of like a 14 hour bus day across the Sahara is is a lifesaver. So I want to thank you for having having your podcast and you've had a lot of cool people on it that um you know when you're out there alone on the road is really a lifesaver like I said to just have some kind of positive thing to turn to when you're in a day where you're kind of suffering it out in a huge transportation type day.
1: Wow, that's that means a lot. Thank you. And, and you know we do hear from folks all the time that say, you know, I'm I'm rowing across the ocean. I have internet for today because i landed on an island that has it and i wanted to let you know i've been listening to the show or i'm biking across south america or hitchhiking and it's just so awesome to hear that folks um that folks use it as inspiration is almost as fuel to keep going a lot of oh, times, oh
0: yeah it makes you feel like you're not alone when a lot of times oh. you're out there on your own fighting it <laughs> on a solo adventure and just that sense of community is really helpful it's really helpful
1: Absolutely, I I think, I, I tell my wife all the time, and anyone, it's the most powerful force in the world, to me, personally, is knowing I'm not alone in a situation. And that just is instantly a game changer for anything I'm ever going through when someone is willing to admit it and say, I'm do I'm going through this too. And, and it just, Oh, what a, what, how invigorating that is. That's fantastic. Mm. And that's what you're doing every week. So thank you. (laughs) Well, no problem. It's my pleasure. (laughs) I I mean, I I sit at my desk a lot for, for you guys to be out there, you guys and girls to be out there. So, (laughs) Um, but it did remind me of what I wanted to ask. You know, you said a lot of people don't realize just how much travel is in You know, or just how much transportation time is Mm -hmm. in travel? What are some other misconceptions about this that you think uh, folks don't really understand until until they do something like this themselves?
0: Yeah, I think people see the glorious side of it. You know, like you just said, um, done a couple like good morning shows on TV, and oh, I'm so jealous. And I know that (laughs) I'm like, man, if you were with me for two days last year, staying where I'm staying, like maybe you're jealous if you spend. Three or four hundred dollars a day, but I'm spending like twenty to forty dollars a day, and so the version I do it, you're not going to be that jealous because it's going to be pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, um, no
1: Starbucks uh, out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, let's see. I think that you have to be really rich to travel as well. I think that's another big one. That you know, I have never had my parents pay for a cent of anything and have done it on an English teacher abroad salary, which is way less than I make now. And now on a high school teacher, you know, here in the U S salary. So I think that's a huge one. People think you have to be absolutely super rich. And I, I tell people like, you know, if I bought a new truck last year for 30 or $40,000, like no one would have blinked. Cause it's all oh, your fifth year teaching. Congrats. You got a new car or a new truck. Yeah. But because I chose to go out and live in a backpack and stay at local people's homes and go to a hundred countries, People think, oh, he's, you know, insane or he's crazy or, you know, he's all of a sudden got a ton of money or, you know, this guy's a rich guy or something. Like, it, it's what you prioritize. And so I think that's a huge one. And, and you know, doing it, it depends on your style that travel does not have to be luxurious. It's never been luxurious for me. Like the idea of having a, you know, kind of like a bracelet on your wrist for unlimited drinks or, you know, hanging out at the beach. That's just that's being a tourist and I've never felt like a tourist. I've always felt like a traveler or an adventurer. And honestly, it's real. You know, I meet people because I'm doing things how they do it. I'm not doing it being escorted away in a car or a truck or in a bubble on a on a beach in, you know, or Cancun or Cabo San Lucas or something. Like I'm taking a bus across Mexico. Or with the people on the Chebe train going across Chihuahua and the Copper Canyon, like I'm doing, how the local people travel, and so that's that's huge, and it makes it so much more authentic to me. Um, so I'd say that's one of the big misconceptions is people think it's glorious with fancy clothes and fancy hotels and all you can eat, and like that's not the style I've ever done. And I feel like the style that I do and a lot of my friends do is it allows you to get an in to how the people there live, and that's that's one of my favorite things to experience. Mm.
1: And I just can't tell you how much I, I want to reiterate every every point you're making. And it's an absolute fact. You know, a lot of people say they're jealous and a lot of people, you know, want to do this. But, you know, the way they want to do it is going to be thousands and thousands of dollars, uh, mm-hmm. more than it has to be. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, yeah I, I really encourage folks. This is, you know, we're a bunch of dirtbags that listen to this show. So we're, <laughs> we're all about that. <laughs> and, uh, and me, oh, my gosh. I mean, I slept in the back of my truck a week ago and that's just because (laughs) you know i'm out there i don't want to pay for a hotel or anything of course and and it's just a great experience you know it's it's those kinds of things i think just really open up your world and really make things possible because you don't need an eighty thousand dollar sprinter van to go camping Mm -hmm. i don't know Mm -hmm. where people got that idea but Mm -hmm. you know you don't need that you don't need all these things and so uh so, so for for someone i mean this is just such a great scenario because you're a teacher And for folks in the States, especially, lots of teachers. My wife's a teacher. We lived off her income for a long time as I was finding my way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you make it seem so possible and doable for people. What are your pieces of advice for folks who are maybe afraid, never traveled much, um, never been out of the country (coughs) much, but want to and Mm -hmm. don't have a whole lot of money to throw at it?
0: Sure. Yeah, I'd say... Keep in mind that there's five to ten countries that are at the same cost as the U.S., and then there's 185, 190 countries that are cheaper than our country, and it could be five to ten times cheaper than our country. And so I think people tend to go to Western Europe, which is one of the more expensive places in the world, but if you go to Latin America, if you go to Southeast Asia, um, if you go to most of the developing world, things will be much, much cheaper and what we make in a month here could last you if you're, you know, kind of more of a budget traveler, like a lot of listeners probably are on this type of show. Would, um, you know, could last you a long time. So I'd say, uh, no, the places are much cheaper than the U.S. in general. And also, if you can have a local contact where you're going, I think that breaks a lot of the fear in the beginning when you're first wanting to go somewhere. People are afraid because it's unknown and it's scary. And if you have a friend of a neighbor, if you have a friend of a friend, you have a distant relative, you have any contact that's in any country, that's really a great jumping off spot. And maybe that's somewhere like Mexico, because we have so many people that are from Mexico or have family from Mexico here. That's where I started. One of my first couple countries was in Guadalajara. Um, So if you have a local contact there, that's huge because someone that can show you around will break that ice, and then hopefully you'll start gaining a little bit of confidence um, for going more on your own. But if you know someone in the country, that's a great place to start.
1: I, uh, I really enjoy that. And I was going to ask you, that's an amazing piece of advice. How do you do that? So it is just thinking about who you know, maybe looking at your social media, who is my friend, who knows who, who's from another country, mm-hmm. and, and then going from there. That's, I mean, honestly, my first trip— it was exactly that a friend of mine was from alaska and then we you had the connection right there and so mm-hmm. it was that's a great place to start and and honestly like all the other reasons you said you get just an instant uh, education on where to go where not to go and and what to do and what to really mm-hmm. see so that's mm-hmm. that's just fantastic you know for someone who has been everywhere except one country <laughs> as we as we keep saying What's next for you? Like, where do, where do you go from here? This is the only Earth we know of. So know. what do you do?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of a lot of friends are like, "What's your next adventure?" And I don't know if there's going to be a goal that's quite going to be on the same level of this. I haven't quite planned it out, but I mean, in my mind, I I picture going because I love traveling. Is I mean, there's countries like India. I spent two and a half years living in Brazil, but still, a huge country. I'll say India, Brazil, um, Australia, Russia. You get these uh, countries, they're just massive. And if you've been there for several weeks, there's China, there's so much that you want to go back and see. So I picture returning to, you know, the countries that you sampled, but you want to see more of um, and, and exploring more of the outdoors, definitely. And I think a huge one is, is being able to share it with people and being able to share your story, whether it's podcasts or making videos or you know speaking for different groups in your community or sharing with groups of students at your school or other teachers um not wanting it to be a selfish motive but to be able to have it to bless other people and help other people out so continue to do it and also share it with people and um that's that's definitely big on my plate right now is to be able to share your story with others
1: wow Just fantastic. Well, you know, in speaking about how how to share and sharing your story, where can folks find out more about what you're doing and keep up with your upcoming adventures?
0: Sure. Yeah. On Instagram, I'm always active there. It's the.world.hiker. On YouTube, I made a lot of videos from different countries I've been to. It's The World Hiker as well. On YouTube um, website, theworldhiker.com. Facebook, The World Hiker as well and, uh, always active on those. And I feel like, uh, one more thing I wanted to add, like for this community to go from endurance or outdoor sports into travel, it's a natural transition. Like a lot of the things, the same qualities you use for these sports, when you put it into budget travel, endurance travel, like you, you, anyone who does these outdoor sports is, would be a great fit for someone that could love traveling. And so I feel like the, the two naturally kind of, you know, mesh together.
1: It's a lot of discipline, a lot of sacrifice, and a lot of patience and Mm -hmm. uh, persistence. So enjoying the
0: journey, right? Enjoying the journey, not just the destination or the finish line or the summit.
1: Wow. Well, well, geez, Brian, I am, I am stoked. It almost kind of makes me upset that we did this during this coronavirus thing because I'm ready to buy a plane (laughs) ticket. Honestly,
0: (laughs) I I would too. I got spring break coming up in a week and a half. I can't go anywhere, you know, so I got to have a local adventures here in the Sierras and in California or on the bike
1: trail close to home
0: if I have to be. So. Hey, you're, you're,
1: you're in a world destination to me. Exactly. Yeah, it's, so, it's a good place. So I appreciate you being on and taking the time and sharing your story. It was incredible.
0: Oh, well, thank you for having me on and thanks for the work that you do. And seriously, you help a lot of us out when we're in our kind of darkest moments on the road to have that sense of community it's it's huge so thanks for all the effort you put into the podcast
1: oh it's returned to me i do it for y'all and y'all do it for me it's it's great so all right man well we'll talk soon and i'll let you know when it comes out okay
0: sounds right. good See thanks you so bride. much mason all right, righty
1: first of all